Since we have a great high priest, God proclaims in verse 14, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You know, this is an amazing contrast. If you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it was written to Jewish people who were struggling and wanted to return back to the Jewish faith and They wanted to add, they said, well, they were starting to compromise the gospel. They were like, well, yeah, Jesus is good and we need Jesus, but we need to follow a bunch of these rules and we need to focus on the Jewish faith and not on, it's not about all about Christ. They began to lose confidence, which is an amazing thing because it says in verses 14 and 15, there's this contrast about this high priest, and in verse 16 it says, now draw near, draw near to the throne of grace, and that we, with confidence. Do you understand how different that is? Because in the Old Testament, when the, the people, could they draw near to God? No. When, when God came down on Mount Sinai, and Moses was going up there, he says, take off your Shoes or your sandals, because the ground in which you are is holy. And he once said, Can I, I want to see your glory. And what he says, no one can see my glory and what? Live. He says, you know, you cannot come too close. And now he's saying we need to draw near to God. Something drastically has changed. We were told, no, no, don't come close in the Old Testament. But now he's saying, Jesus is saying, come Come, draw near to me. Have confidence in what I've done for you. He says in here, we have this great high priest that's passed through the heavens. What does that mean? That's passed through the heavens. Well, you know, those that are our science folk, right? We know that there are how many heavens? There's three. There's our atmosphere, There's the outer space, and then there's the heaven where God's throne is. Do you know how many places there are set up in the tabernacle for worship? Three. There's the outer courts, the inner courts. After you've made offerings for your sins, you can go worship in the inner courts, but no one was allowed to go into the holies of holies. That's quite an amazing thing. That was one priest had the responsibility and he had to prepare so specifically to make sure he was pure and without sin before one time every year he would go in and make sacrifice in the inner, in the Holy of Holies. And they even tied a rope on around him. Guess why? Yeah, because if he go into the presence of God and he wasn't pure, guess what was going to happen? Die. They even put a bell on him. You know why? If, if he didn't 
If he didn't make noise, guess what had happened? He was no longer alive. So then they would pull him and drag him out. And I was studying with a Jewish rabbi in Israel, and he was telling me, and as we were talking about this idea, he was saying, this was something, this wasn't like, I'm, I'm the best rabbi, I get to go into the Holy of Holies. This was something that if you were a priest, a high priest, you didn't look forward to doing. They went in, they, sac- they made the sacrifice, and guess what they did? Did they stay there? <laughs> they left. But listen in verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He didn't just pass through earth, was raised again, right? Got caught up in the air, and then he went, and guess where he resides? On the throne room with God. He didn't dread being in the presence of God. And now he says, because I have saved you, because I have made you righteous because of my righteousness, I am inviting you to come into the Holy of Holies with me. That's why we can be confident. Because when God sees you, he doesn't look at this wretched sinner. He sees Christ's righteousness on your behalf. If you've accepted Christ, if you've responded to his call and he has saved you, we can confidently approach and come boldly. We don't have to be like that, you know, the kid that's gotten in trouble in school and dreads to go see the principal, right? I've had to do that on multiple occasions. Yeah, you just dread it. You dread coming home if you know that you're in trouble and dad's coming home. All right? Mom's like, just wait till dad gets home. You've heard those words, right? Yeah, my, one of my kids just woke up. <laughs> wait till dad gets home. Jesus didn't just pass, go in and say, I got to get out. He stayed and he's calling us there and he's inviting us to come with him. Do you see how special that is? It has nothing to do with us. And that's that main point, now that we got through that long introduction. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Why can we be confident? It's because it's about Christ. It's not in ourselves. Philippians 3, 3, 4. Paul says, for, our, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the See, the world is telling you that all of our confidence is supposed to be in everything that you can do. You know, it's like, here, get better at this and find confidence. And it's like, everything is about feeling good about yourself. We can feel good about what Christ has done for us, which gives us the most amazing confidence that no one in this world can understand. We have that high priest. Do you notice in the end of verse 15? Why could Jesus stay in the Holy of Holies? Because he was yet without sin. And that's what he did when he died for us. We're not confident in ourselves. He is the perfect high priest 
that has made intercession for us, that has saved us, that has made the perfect sacrifice so we can confidently come before God and talk to him. This is the idea around prayer, is we can come and just talk to God about anything. Like Paul says in Philippians, right? Everything by prayer and supplication, supplicating with talking to God on the behalf of others and telling God what's going on so that way you're not living an anxious life. Come before God. The next point is, is that the fruit of the gospel, gospel-centered life is that we can be confident and that we become confident to freely and openly come to God. Jesus won that right for you. I like what it says in 1 John 2, 28. It says, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears you may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Right? Like when dad comes home, when you've done something and, you know, it's like time for discipline. And the kids, you know, I know when my kids have done something that they're not supposed to do because they're not at the door, you know, like the little twins, they come running, but if they're in trouble, guess what they do not do? Daddy. Right? When dad comes in and they're playing in, at night when they're supposed to be going to bed, and dad walks into and enters into their presence, you know, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> but no. When Christ returns to take us home once and for all, we should be confident. It speaks of our heart attitude as a saint who lives saying, I can't wait for Christ to come. We should be expecting him to return, not dreading his return. Do you dread his return? That shouldn't be, that's not what he's, he's given us. The next thing is, is we, we can be confident because our sin doesn't anchor us to guilt and shame. Did you notice that? Let us then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. Do you know that throne of grace? You ever thought about that? That's an oxymoronic statement. <laughs> throne, God's holiness, God's right to all things. Everything is under his feet when he sits on the throne. And yet he says we can come to him to the throne of grace. That he gives out of that throne, he gives what we don't deserve. The throne he deserves and yet he gives what he doesn't deserve. What we don't deserve. It's crazy to think about that. That, that grace, verse 16, that, that throne of grace that we may receive, what? Mercy and find grace. Mercy to not get what we deserve and have grace and receive the blessings and his kindness that we definitely don't deserve. Isn't that great? It frees us from guilt and shame. We don't walk around feeling guilty and shameful because what Christ has done for us. 1 John 1.9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to do that. We can enter into his presence and not hang our head low, but rejoice and praise the Lord, and be confident that we can talk to him. The other, the last thing that we go through quickly is, is we can be confident he will help with our needs. I like that. It says, 
that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do, do you realize, there, is there anything in this world that can meet our need? Well, you say, yeah, man, well, I'll tell you what, that piece of pizza was sure good. It met my need. It, it met my taste buds need. But as I've gotten older, it certainly doesn't meet my stomach's need. <laughs> my stomach says, you didn't need that. I, it still befuddles me as I sit there and talk to Pastor Ralph. And he goes, yeah, I, I, I smell it. It smells good, but I don't feel hungry. I don't need it. I'm like, that is just, that, what, that's got to be one of the greatest blessings known to man. <laughs> He's not tempted by his, his nose and his taste buds. Right? But we act like, man, the world, we have so many needs out there. But reality is it's what we want. It's not really what we need. We needed Christ. We need Christ. The only way we can have confidence to keep our head up in life is through Christ. He meets our needs. He's, he understands temptation, right? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Right? What do we hear from people all the time? You just don't know, you just don't know how I feel. You could never know how I feel. But that's okay because I know the one who does know how you feel. He knows everything. He's the most sympathetic one there ever is, and that is Christ. He, is, he understands temptation. He knows what it feels like to be tempted to go eat all of your wife's chocolate? Or, sorry, Kelsey, your, your ice cream that I ate last night. <laughs> I owe you some more ice cream. <laughs> so, she knows I'm good for it. <laughs> he understands temptation. He knows what it's like, but yet he was sinless. So he's the perfect high priest that he sacrificed himself for us so we can have confidence. He understands rejection. No one can understand what he went through when he died on the cross for your sins. He was rejected. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? To know everything there is to know and to have all that omniscience, it didn't change that he was God when he died. It didn't change that. He was 100% God and 100% man, but he felt the crushing blow of all of God's wrath. That rejection. No one can understand rejection the way he can understand it. To be fully rejected. None of us are fully rejected the way that he was. We can be confident that he'll help our needs because he also, he understands poverty and need. Jesus knew what it meant to have to be to have poverty and to be in need. Think about it. He came off of the throne of God. He left the throne room to live as his creation. I don't know if you've ever created anything, but I wouldn't want to become what I create. Partially because most of the things that I create are flawed. Um, there's a reason why, uh, I don't see Jesse, but there's a reason why, Jesse, I don't do clay. 
<laughs> my, my, they're more like Gumby, those of you that are older generation, than they are like an actual... <laughs> I, don't, I tried to fire something once. My, my mom has my little, my little owl I made. It looks like a Christmas tree. It was supposed to be an owl, but it turned out to be like a Christmas tree. I wouldn't want to be that Christmas tree. <laughs> but God created us, came down and lived like us. He knows what it is to have need. He also understands grief. He understands grief. He's he is able to sympathize. You see the double negative in verse 15? Who is unable? He, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's amazing. He understands grief. Jesus knows exactly what you guys are going through. That's why we have to look to Christ. You know, we, sometimes we place so much importance on people in church and then when they don't understand how we feel, we get mad at them. The church isn't so that way for your personal, everybody knows exactly how to take care of you. It's for us to know perfectly how much Jesus takes care of us. We come to glorify Christ. He understands our grief. So when some of us make mistakes, because we just don't get it, we don't understand, we're flawed, we're human, we can look to Christ and we can let him hug. I pray that all the time for people that I don't understand what they're going through, because I can't always understand. I just pray that, that God hugs you, because he understands. I like this one. He understands loneliness. <sighs> loneliness. Sometimes... You know, it's, you know, when we live in a household of eight people or more, sometimes loneliness is a good thing. <laughs> We're like, you know, that's when I find my daughter, you know, hiding in the closet with a light on reading a book. She wants to be left alone because there's no, there's no place in our house that you can be left alone in, not even the bathroom. It doesn't matter if you have two bathrooms or three bathrooms. There's always somebody that has to go to the bathroom and knocks on the door. Right? You cannot find a place to be left alone. So you find a space and you create a space. But all joking aside, loneliness is something we all struggle with at some point or time. But you know who has the answers? We can draw confidently to God. We can have confidence because of what Jesus has done for us and he understands. He is there. We can be confident because we know that he is sufficient for everything. Do you understand that? That's what this passage is showing us. There is nothing that we can't just, there's nothing that we could bring before him that he is not sufficient for. I'm, I can, I, good news. The best news is that when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he is saying, I am here, I am now sufficient to meet all of your needs. Isn't that great news? You know why it's important to be gospel-centered? To, to live gospel, your mindset, our mindset has to be focused on the gospel every day. Otherwise, we lose that confidence. We don't want to lose that confidence. 
that then brings us to this point is what is drawing, what are you drawing confidence from? Where are you drawing confidence from? Is it from something you have? Is it from something you do? Is it from someone in your life? I, 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 my, my greatest prayer is that you are confident in what Jesus has done for you. Because guess what? That will unleash power in the church. My greatest prayer is that we are not confident in our church. Our church is us. And you're saying, well, that's weird. Don't you want us to enjoy each other? Yeah. But I'm here to tell you, if you're drawing confidence from the church, I'm here to tell you, none of us are perfect. I, I, I bet that doesn't surprise most of you. Right? And if you're drawing confidence from this church body, then you're looking at the wrong thing. And we're going to let you down. I will let you down. Somebody's going to let you down. But guess who will never let you down? Christ. What are you drawing confidence from? I love this, what the psalmist said, and, and if you have time to turn there, it would be great, and uh, it would be a good one to memorize. Because this is the mentality of a gospel-centered life, and this is what happens when we live this way. It produces Great, great confidence. Psalm 60 and verse 11 and 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. Did you hear that? David's praying. He's crying out to God. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. Salvation doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from the things of this world. Our salvation comes from God, from Christ. Verse 12, with God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. With God we shall do what? I don't know what your translation says. I love that word valiantly. I love... That, that term of being valiant. I think of a, a knight on a horse, right? Praise the Lord, I don't have to wear all that armor. I don't know about you, I just dumbfounds me watching all those guys ride around on that armor. You know, you know why they ride around? You know, we see all those movies with all those guys with all those armor. You ever think about that? How could they survive in all that? I mean, if, we lived, if you lived in Phoenix, Arizona, they'd be cooked alive. But all of those armor stuff happened in Europe where it was pretty much like it is outside. <laughs> it's a, never that hot. But you know what? If we try to arm ourselves and find confidence in the armor of the things of this world, we're going to be cooked alive. You know what insulates us from that? Jesus. Do you know what releases the power in the church? Jesus. Do you know what brings confidence back to the church? Jesus. This whole idea. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. 
I pray and my desire is that we don't look to man. David acknowledged that victory had to come from the Lord. I also love that one. Like the horse is made ready for battle. I can't remember exactly which verse it is. But you can look up horse, and it's usually, it's, there's only a few places <laughs> in Proverbs and in Psalms. But the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory belongs to, the, to God, to the Lord. I remember the, the day that I walked into my, to the senior pastor's office, the very first church that I ever served in, and I knew something was wrong, knew something was wrong. Before I went on vacation, I came home, and, the, and I walked into his office, and he says, I want you to resign. And I was like, okay, why? And he goes, well, we just don't get along. And I was like, I said, I don't remember getting in a fight. And he goes, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, you're very easy to get along with. And I'm like, well, then you just said. <laughs> and he said, he goes, well, we're, our, our ministries are just different. And I said, really? And, and it was, I just felt like God had prepared me. I was at peace. And it was amazing because my confidence wasn't in that ministry and that church. My confidence was in the Lord. My, my mentor growing up, he, he shot me that, immediately he shot me an email. I didn't have texting yet. So uh, that was long enough ago. And he said, he said, sent an email to me, and he sent me a note, and he said that verse, the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. And, it, and people can plan, and they can determine what they think is best for your life. But in the end, guess who gets the victory? God always does. And you can plan and plan and plan and plan. And God will always have his victory. The believer's enemies are the world, the flesh, and the schemes of the evil one. In himself... And in all of, as a believer, in and of ourselves, we are powerless to conquer any of those. And the help of other men is insufficient, no matter how well-meaning they may be. But the victory is through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always funny, because that was a song I hated singing as a kid, Victory in Jesus. <laughs> it's my, one of my favorite songs now. Victory in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus. He will never disappoint you. Let us approach God, not with our heads hanging low. We have confidence because of Christ. Isn't that a great thing? That should encourage you. I love that because... That's what I was sharing with Sunday School this morning as we talked about the truth about man. We're just wretched. <laughs> right? The truth is, we're just, we're horrible people. But it was neat is, is this whole idea of, of boldly coming before God. And Sue Lunsford wanted me to tell you hi. I was blessed to be able to, to, to sit and visit with Dave and Sue on, on uh, Thursday. And uh, and sit with them, and I, I was taken to task by Sue. <laughs> you know, she's, think about all that she's going through, but man, the confidence that came from her life, 
it was just amazing, right? And the way that I learned so much just in that hour I sat there and just listened to her talk. Because her confidence is not in her circumstance. It's not in other people. It's not what people are saying or doing. Her confidence is in her Savior. And she's living it. She doesn't look healthy, but her eyes say something different. Boy, they're gleaming, man. They're just so vibrant. And she wanted to make sure and me to let you know that she loves you and she appreciates all the prayers and the notes that she's been getting. It means a lot to her. And uh, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time.